Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Aventure, a new platform that's making venture capital available to the masses. It doesn't matter if you are an accredited or non-accredited investor. Aventure provides an opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio by providing access to investing in venture capital funds. The Aventure app provides everything you need to make startup investments, including extensive research material, seamless transaction processes, and allocation measures. For fund managers, Aventure seeks to help you streamline your operations and launch your fund. Now, typically, venture capital and startup investments are liquid, which is a major pain point in our industry. Aventure is fixing this by offering periodic withdrawals for its investors. I and many others in the industry are so excited about this launch. Their first fund launch is coming early next year. So if you want to be the first in the know, join their waitlist at aventure.vc. That's A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E dot V-C. Also check the link in the show notes. Aventure is a California-based fintech company and operates independently from investment advisors on its platform who may be registered as investment advisors in the U.S. or qualify for exempt reporting status. Hello, I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and this is the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. If you're enjoying this show, also subscribe to my newsletter at theconsumervc.com, where you're going to receive all episodes straight to your inbox, as well as a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. All content episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Aventure, a new platform that's about to launch that's making venture capital available to the masses. It doesn't matter if you're accredited or not accredited, Aventure provides an opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio and invest in private funds. If you're a fund manager, the Aventure app also provides everything you need in order to make startup investments, including extensive research materials, seamless transaction processes, and allocation measures so you can properly diversify your portfolio. Now, typically, venture capital and startup investments are liquid, which is a major pain point for industry. Aventure is fixing this by offering periodic withdrawals for its investors. I and many others in this industry are so excited about this launch, they are preparing to list their first fund in the beginning of next year. So if you want to be the first to know, join their waitlist at aventure.vc. Thank you, Deb Benton, for introducing me to our guest today, Carl Stenmark, who's a general partner at VMG. VMG, short for Velocity Made Good, is one of the premier consumer private equity firms known for their investments in Kind, Quest Nutrition, Sunbum, and Justin's. However, Carl leads VMG's technology practice, and recently the firm went through a bit of a rebrand, which we will discuss. This conversation is about what types of technology companies VMG invests in and why they invest in technology. Without further ado, here's Carl. Carl, thanks so much for being here. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Want to start from the very beginning. What was your initial attraction to consumer investing? Were you always interested in consumer growing up? Uh, funny enough, I, I actually was attracted to VMG, not because of its, uh, consumer focus, but was more attracted to, uh, its philosophy around value add to, to its portfolio companies. So I had started my career at Summit Partners, uh, worked there for three years, then went to business school, 
uh, with the aspirations of kind of moving to the operating side. Um, tried a summer in that role and realized, hey, maybe investing is, 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 is more for me. Uh, and then when I was looking to get back into it, trying to find a firm that was, was really focused on spending a lot of time with its portfolio. Uh, and, it, you know, to me, what was going to be the most rewarding was having a small piece uh, in the, the journey that is building a company. And so um, when I joined VMG, which was 2012, um, I think we had 12 portfolio companies. Uh, and you know the bulk of our time was actually spent with the management teams that we invested in. And you know that um, allowed us, because, and because we were so specific on investing in CPG, we had, you know, inherent a lot of pattern recognition and could provide, you know, in our opinion, more value given uh, the specialization to, to the management teams we partnered with. And frankly, I think if you talk to our team, that's the most rewarding piece of, of our job rather than just hunting and finding new deals. You said you originally, after you worked at Summit Partners and went back for, for business school, you were interested in being an operator or in joining a company. Why did you then transition back to, okay, actually, I think that I you know was an investor. Um, I am an investor or want to get back into investing, but be part of a firm that maybe must be, be much more hands-on with their portfolio company. So you're you're not quite an operator, but you're just, you're, you're, you're very much maybe more part, you're, you're more active or part of the business. Why, why move back to investing? Why not operate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, listen, I, I think it's a, a, a part of the function of what you've been exposed to. And so I had the opportunity to work with an amazing team uh, at, at Opower. I think the role that I was in was kind of more business development and sales. And I, I think uh, I loved being a part of the business and thinking about new products, uh, it, it, you know, but selling into utilities is a very long, painful sales cycle. <laughs> and so, you know, I think naturally uh, after experiencing some of that long sales cycle of trying to sell into large public utility companies, um, I miss the high paced nature of investing uh, and the ability to, uh, it, it, you know, dive deep into a lot of different industries, uh, or not industries, but excuse me, into bunch of different companies, um, but still in a fashion that, you know, we played a very active role in, um, uh, in the direction those businesses were going. Uh, and it, you know, I'll never forget it. I, I think um, it was the same day that I got engaged was when we sold um, our, the first portfolio company that I was a, a part of from the very beginning to to the exit and receiving that that phone call from Kevin Schwartz, the CEO of Baby Gannicks, um, just thanking me, uh, you know, for the work that I've done and for changing his life, his family's lives, and and, and all the employees' lives at Baby Gannicks, who are all shareholders of that business, it, it, you know, it, it, yeah, kind of chills still just thinking about it, and and I think this industry and role can be very much a grind. Um, but working towards those types of phone calls and those types of exits is you know, definitely what makes it worth it. Totally, totally. I mean, I can only imagine receiving that call after a successful exit happened. And, um, and of course, being part of that journey. 
um, and, you know, working pretty close with the founder and, you know, um, obviously thanking you for, for all you've done for the business. So that's, um, that's incredible. What about the VMG? Philo- y- y- you said that it wasn't so much consumer that attracted you to and C- in CPG that it kind of attracted you to investing in CPG. It was really actually working that you wanted to work at VMG um, or that you really liked about VMG. What, what about VMG kind of made it special for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when I joined, uh, the team was was very small and very collaborative. And so, you know, I worked at a very large uh, shop, a very successful one, but, um, you know, wasn't a part of all the sausage making. And so I think as I looked uh, to get into this career, wanted to have a seat around the table. And, you know, for a good portion of when I joined, um, you know, we had a small round table because we were a team of seven or eight people, um, where we made all the decisions together. And I think having that level of transparency helped me not only become a better, uh, investor, uh, but equally as important, just a better, um, board member, a better advisor, because it was kind of learning a lot from my colleagues on, you know, how they, thought about building businesses and how I was getting exposure, not just to the portfolio companies I was responsible for, but getting a lot of exposure to every single company that BMG was a part of. Um, and, and so I think that that type of collaborative team nature and in-depth, um, uh, you know, kind of portfolio analysis was uh, what, what was really attractive. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and also thanks for sharing kind of the differences to your previous experiences, um, working in, you know, um, a different, maybe a non-collaborative or just a different work environment to VMG and kind of how some of the funds, um, operate just a little bit differently. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, VMG then introduces, you know, VMG Catalyst and identifies, uh, wants to invest in more, um, technology, uh, companies, um, in addition, of course, to, you know, maybe the, the main business of EMG, which is what I know VMG for, which is our, you know, the kind bars, the quests, the sun bumps and, and what you have you, right. That's what you kind of know, know, know VMG for. Uh, and so what was, um, talk to me about like the beginnings of VMG catalyst and, um, and how the end and why it made sense to launch a fund. And as well as you, you joining that, that initiative. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, and it's evolved a lot over time. Uh, so, so we can talk about that as part number two. But, it, you know, to begin, what was the impetus for um, VMG Catalyst, soon to be VMG Technology? Um, it was it, it really seeing a gap in the market for capital available to more tech forward uh, consumer brands. Uh, and you know, what we were noticing is just, you know, consumer expectations were only increasing. Uh, obviously, Amazon is a, a big reason why. And then you had uh, social media um, really allowing a number of companies to reach consumers uh, faster and more cost effectively. Um, you know, ultimately, you start having more complicated supply chains. But what what was the initial attraction was, you know, these to us, these tech forward consumer businesses who were being built online first uh, and then slowly moving offline, um, 
you know, didn't have capital available to them that was very consumer specific. And especially at the early stages, I think you saw a lot more of these businesses being funded by traditional venture capitalists. And um, I, I think to us, it, it, you know, was forcing these businesses to take on more money and grow faster than what was right for the business or the brand. Uh, and then ultimately, what our belief is, what was right for the founder. Um, you know, we've now had the pleasure of um, selling a lot of our portfolio companies. And I think what makes consumers so attractive, especially in, in a market like uh, we're facing right now, is that the best consumer brands, um, you know, engender a lot of evangelism and create tons of word of mouth marketing, which then result in very profitable business models. And so a lot of times when you're going to sell these businesses, you know, you hear a lot about revenue multiples. Um, what you hear less about, but is probably more important is actually the EBITDA or, you know, the DCF that allowed, uh, you know, these acquirers to get to that revenue multiple. And so we felt there really needed to be a capital provider in the market that was willing to play a little earlier because our consumer growth practice was usually coming in when businesses were 10, 20, 30, 40, now even a little bit larger to start with. And, you know, could we find those, you know, Series A businesses in traditional venture language that we could still scale capital efficiently? And still take that consumer-centric, brand-centric mindset to investing versus looking at, you know, three-year LTV over CACs and telling teams to spend a lot more into paid, you know, knowing that, you know, there's no switching costs in consumer. You can't really look at three-year LTVs because, uh, you know, you're entering into a contract that at each time a consumer decides to buy a product, uh, it, it, not, not, uh, you know, for two or three years. And so I, I think the way you need to operate these businesses is, is slightly different than the way you would operate a, a technology company that is just a, a lot more sticky or that is signing two to three year contracts. Has that been challenging for you to make that adjustment from investing in pure CPG companies at a different stage, later stage, um, and um, where you actually, where you also have maybe real revenue, whereas um, you're investing maybe earlier now, right at maybe like the Series A stage in technology companies, since as you said, the model is so different. Yeah, and it it has it, it been a change, and maybe I'll I'll give a little bit of context um, because we started to talk about the impetus of Catalyst being more around. Um, digitally native brands that were starting online first and then scaling off, off channel. Um, it, you know, I think our belief at, at, at VMG was very quickly that, it, you know, the best brands are where the consumers want them to be. And, and that's typically, you know, your consumer dictates your distribution, not your business model. And so, you know, we've always been big believers in omni-channel. Um, distribution. So you, know, you have e-commerce, but you also have traditional retail. Um, and because of that, we we quickly came to the realization that you know we could just invest a little earlier from our consumer or growth fund, um, and you know help these businesses that started maybe first online 
you know, navigate the, this, this omni-channel dilemma. Um, that then led our catalyst and now VMG technology fund to also make a shift. And so what you will no longer see VMG technology or catalyst do is investing in, you know, direct to consumer businesses. We're really focused on investing to your point in the technology that will support the consumer ecosystem. Uh, so that's typically brands, whether they be emerging brands in the VMG portfolio or the large conglomerates that are one day purchasing those brands, uh, the retailers that sell those businesses, or uh, you know, increasingly a lot of the consumer services verticals that we are now starting to uh, play in on the consumer side. We will also invest in um, marketplaces, both B2C and B2B uh, on VMG Catalyst, now VMG Technology. And so, you know, to your point, that is the shift we've had to make is, you know, especially me, the rest of our team on VMG technology have been SaaS investors their whole career. The transition from me being a consumer to more of a software investor has been one where, you know, I think some of the acronyms are different and some of the, uh, the ways that you're able to invest in the infrastructure to then see those rewards, you know, a year or two later is definitely different, but um, I, I think we're still looking for the same fundamentals in what's inherently a great business model. Your gross margin benchmarks are definitely different, um, but you know, in terms of your go-to-market efficiency, um, there's actually a lot more similarities than one would think. And especially as you're seeing just this general trend towards the consumerization of software, you know, the end user of these products is so critical that taking that lens is very important. And so where we saw the gap in, in VMG technology going forward was that, you know, historically, most software businesses that everybody's aware of and that has made, you know, the venture industry a lot of dollars have sold into other technology verticals. Because, you know, I've taken and, and the team has taken such an active role in helping scale our consumer businesses. We've also had a front row seat into so many of the pain points that face those businesses as well as their distribution partners. And, you know, again, our belief is that while we're early on the adoption curve of, of technology, these consumer verticals will have to invest more in technology going forward to serve the increasing expectations of its consumers, uh, as well as to manage the complexity of, of, of today's uh, ecosystem to, to scale revenue non-linearly with headcount. And so we come at it very much as an approach of what pain point is this software solving, then using our VMG ecosystem to identify you know, the willingness to pay and the criticality of that pain point. Uh, and then we use that to help influence our investment decisions on going into a business. And then on the flip side, post-close, we use that same ecosystem to be very helpful with our entrepreneurs as they think about their product roadmap and their go-to-market strategy. So I, un I understand that that kind of part of this evolution and kind of that shift from, you know, catalyst to technology is realizing that um, brands um, that digital brands 
even though they're digitally native, eventually they're going to have to scale kind of in retail in the store. So it makes sense to actually put them on um, VMG consumer um, um, uh, side instead of and instead of the the technology side. Is that roughly right? That's correct. Yep. Cool. What about something like We though, which is you know a online grocery uh, um, company? Does that would that fall under technology or would that fall under consumer? Yeah, Mike, you, you're really always asking the hard question. That's why we like you. Um, no, I, I, I think that that would fall under uh, technology going forward. And so, well, you know, it is more of an e or online retailer, you know, today. I, I think we kind of view it in that marketplace bucket. Um, and, you know, they are building a marketplace alongside their retail business that's kind of similar to a fulfilled by Amazon. Um, and, and so that's why we would put it more into that bucket. Um, but again, I, I think why we is interesting is that we can use a lot of our learnings on consumer to be helpful with them. Um, but, you know, we can also really be think, thoughtful on, you know, marketplace and, cons- you know, more, um, consumer marketplace economics as we think about scaling we. And so, you know, they hold inventory, uh, they have warehouses, they have distribution. And so, you know, there's just a lot of blocking and tackling and, and execution of moving uh, groceries around that is is quite complex um, that, you know, we're actually quite used to on the consumer side. But as we think about scaling we, we think that is more akin to um, a, a mar- consumer marketplace than it is a consumer um, uh, CPG brand or, or consumer services company. No, that makes sense. That makes sense um, in terms of where kind of we would because I I um, I saw the rebrand and just was kind of my one of my first thoughts that came to mind was where does kind of we kind of fit in in terms of if it's on the consumer side or the technology side because it is obviously a a consumer. A business, I think, yeah, I think but, you're right. It's the one that's probably the most challenging right now, given that it's, you know, the vast majority of its volume is from, you know, direct retail in the sense that, you know, that they own the inventory. Um, and, and and so, you know, you can make an argument that it could go into both. But, uh, you know, we're very happy to have Larry and team on the technology side because, uh uh, they've been doing uh, exceptional work scaling that business. How's it been difficult? Just because you're, you know, you're going through a rebranding or 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 a uh, an evolution where you're putting maybe um, some of the companies that initially were you invested out of the Catalyst Fund, now Technology Fund, and and kind of understanding that they're more on the growth now now consumer fund. Has it how how has it been with expressing this, or do you have to talk to your LPs about kind of some of this reshuffling that's happened, and 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 how is that how has that gone? A hundred percent, I I think. And listen, it was kind of a clean break. Although we're doing the rebranding now, it really occurred uh, when we raised uh, Fund Two, which we closed in February of twenty twenty two, and so Fund One. You had a mixture of direct-to-consumer brands, software businesses, and marketplaces. Um, 
that was a $250 million fund. Um, uh, it really focused on Series A and Series B. Uh, we went to market uh, for Fund Two. We were kind of very clear with our LPs that you know we were moving this to be software and marketplace focused, and you know we were going to raise 400 million uh, to also be stage agnostic. And so primarily, we will invest in the Series A and B. But we're also happy to invest in the growth uh, stages as a co-investor um, in market leaders that are really impacting uh, VMG's consumer ecosystem. And so where we've kind of moved and communicated is, you know, this idea that, you know, they weren't stacked like some of the traditional venture where you have kind of early stage VC and then you have your growth fund and there's a ton of overlap. Fund one and, uh, you know, and our consumer practice were more like, you know, kind of this, where there was some overlap, uh, but not not a ton. And fund two and growth or consumer fund five, you know, we really moved for them to sit side by side, where, you know, this side on the technology side is all really helping build better businesses on the consumer side. And the consumer side is helping influence the decision making on on the technology side. And so they're kind of working very hand in hand, but there's not really any overlap in the types of businesses we will invest in. That's helpful. That's helpful. How how do you also think, um, because I know that the, the VMG ecosystem gets brought up a lot. And I know when, when Wayne was on, he talked a lot about it as well, about the VMG ecosystem. How, how do you maximize that ecosystem uh, where I understand on the technology side, you're investing in companies who are whose target customer is our brands, right? In that they are maybe e-commerce infrastructure companies or they are, you know, retail infrastructure companies. How how do you think about making potential introductions? Because I'm sure you don't want to be too pushy. Um, and how do you kind of navigate that in terms of maximizing your ecosystem, but also not pushing hard heavy on maybe some of your consumer um, uh, portfolio brands of, Hey, you need to use kind of this technology or, 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 or this is how it could be helpful. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and one we've thought long and hard about because I, I you know, you end, often lose trust, uh, when you're solely pushing things that you have a vested interest in. And, you know, I, I think we actually started, walking you know the talk here on before we even had technology and so you know some examples of this in the ecosystem that Wayne probably alluded to is when we have retail symposiums that we help host for Walmart Target Kroger Amazon whatever it is you know we're very careful that we're in we're inviting a lot of emerging brands um, that are in our competitors' portfolios that are you know haven't received funding you know and, and we definitely invite some of our brands too, but it's never pushing solely our business or our portfolio companies where you feel like can I really trust what these guys are saying because it seems very self interested, but trying to take the long term approach that you know if we support the emerging brand ecosystem on the consumer side. Like it will come back to help us either because we'll have more stronger relationships with these retailers who will give us more insights or when we really do need to push a favor because we really believe in a business, we can have that conversation with those retailers. As it applies to technology, listen, you know, a big part of your diligence is 
doing market landscape and competitive analysis. And, you know, we're trying to figure out why we prefer to invest in a company, in, in a particular company versus its competitive set and why. And, you know, how we originate thematic or thesis work on our end is, you know, hopefully listening to this uh, ecosystem, understanding its pain points, or at least understanding what types of technology solutions they are looking for. You know, a brand that a lot of people have probably heard of on our technology is Attentive, which is the SMS platform, right? I, I think you were seeing a lot of saturation within email marketing. iOS 14 changes were happening, and people were looking at other effective ways to, to reach consumers. Um, you know, when we spoke to our portfolio companies, we didn't just say, hey, you guys need to, you know, check out Attentive. Um, it, you know, it was very much, you know, there are a few businesses that, that we've started to really like uh, in the space after doing a bunch of, you know, a couple months of work. You know, the top three that we think we've identified is, and this was, you know, a couple of years ago, so it's changed a little bit today, but I'll, I'll pretend it's two years ago, was, you know, attentive, postscripts, and emotive. And, you know, these are the reasons why we decided to invest in attentive versus postscripts and emotive. Uh, here are how they each pitch their value props. And, you know, here's kind of what our thought is. Where do you want to, who or, or who do you want to use? And so obviously very much disclosing that we're investors in one of them, but there are multiple choices. And for some businesses, uh, it might not be the right thing to go with attentive. Uh, we just feel like for the majority of the businesses out there, uh, it is. Uh, but, it, it, you know, that type of feedback also, because for those who decide not to go to attentive, you know, we can then capture why and, you know, hopefully then relay that to the team at Attentive and saying, you know, hey, are there product gaps? Uh, is there a segment of the market that is just not seeing the same value? Is that a market that we should focus on capturing or not? Um, so it, it can be very beneficial. And then we continue to maintain that trusted relationship with that ecosystem where, they're not like, oh, great, here's VMG who's just going to pitch more of their portfolio companies. But it's if we've listened to the pain point, we understood what they're trying to search for and then come back to them after doing a bunch of work and being fully transparent about the work we have done and providing that to them, it just saves them the hassle of doing an RFP. We've kind of done it for them and, and looped out the pros and cons of each solution. Do you, do you find yourself more per se, like a top down investor in that obviously you you're you're not a generalist. You're very you're very much focused on, you know, maybe e-commerce infrastructure, let's say, and maybe retail infrastructure um, in the on the on on the technology side. But um how do you think about like pain points or things you would like to see that are different or that needs to be different or changed that could be actually major investment opportunities? Does that mean that you're very thesis-driven about a particular idea, and then you kind of go and, and you and you find out which entrepreneur is kind of building the best product in your mind after you've done your diligence, or it's a bit more bottoms up where you um, you talk to um, a lot of founders, you kind of understand what they're what they're doing, and then you kind of go back and do your due diligence of if this is a real problem, um, and um, and then get back to the founder if it actually makes sense for you to invest. Yeah. 
So um, we're about 50-50 today. I, you know, I think we want to continue to lean heavy into the top down. Um, but listen, I, I think all of us also have great operator networks and we hear of um, great businesses that are providing a, a really unique solution. So, you know, we, we, we typically break our teams out into vertical focuses, like for example, hey, you're really focused on marketing technology, you're focused on supply chain technology, you're focused on omni-channel or e-commerce enablement. Um, and then we also focus on operational um, uh, or, or department heads. And so, hey, you're building a network of CFOs in our, in our ecosystem, you're building a network of COOs or operators, you're in marketing or e-commerce heads and then you know under triangulating both of those into what are the the biggest pain points that software can address and that's that top down but a lot of time when you're having those conversations these same operators or um, portfolio companies will say well we just actually implemented x y and z solution and it's having an amazing roi you guys should check this out uh, we then, that's more of the bottoms up motion where, okay, we've heard of a business through that ecosystem. Then we're doing the work. Okay, how broad is this pain point? And let's present this to more operators in our network to see if this is also solving the same need for them as it was to the person that presented the idea to us. The truth is that there's always going to be some opportunistic um, and it's a little bit of, you know, probably 50-50 today. Then on the kind of thesis driven top down, what what would you like to see and that you're really interested in in changing about kind of e-commerce and the and the customer experience? So as it relates to e-commerce specifically, I think historically a lot of solutions have been purpose built for that one vertical. And so, you know, the Shopify marketplace, for example, was a, a, a great way that encouraged a ton of innovation, a ton of entrepreneurs to build point solutions uh, for e-commerce. I think what we're really excited about going forward, come back to, you know, what we're, where we started with is that, you know, we believe the successful brands of the future are going to have really strong omni-channel capabilities is to, you know, mirror... Um, e-commerce with offline and have you know more solutions that not only are integrated with your e-commerce strategy but also your retail or offline strategy you know a good example of this is like even inventory management systems um, you know very few inventory management systems work well across both channels um, and you know going forward we think that will be as increasingly important order management systems, IMSs, I mean, even ERPs, like it's, it, you know, I, I think that is a really exciting opportunity. I think there's been also just more in innovation in terms of consumer journeys and data uh, and, and abilities to interrupt the consumer decision-making process uh, online. Uh, but we're excited about how do you replicate some of those tactics offline? You know, you know, Drew on our team is kind of dubbing the, you know, offline cookie. Um, but it's, uh, you know, how, how do you provide some of these really efficient journeys in, in you know, in real life? 
Um, and there's more and more technologies that are being built for that, where certain consumer segments like food, uh, the vast majority of the sales are happening offline and in person. And so what do those retailers need uh, to effectively uh, you know, improve the customer journey? No, that's, that's helpful. Like as well, how if you do you know, online marketing, um, how, how can you see maybe the um, attribution uh, from that you know, in sales? Um, I mean, in, in retail and kind of offline, you know, and be able to actually make a further connection between the two. Uh, because, you know, and because like even like the data sources are very disparate. And so you kind of have, if you look right, you have IRI, Nielsen, um, a bunch of, you know, offline data sources. And then you have, you know, 1010 stack line, you know, a bunch of others on online. And so you kind of have these two data sources. How do you bring that all together? And, you know, are there increasing even data plays? Um that really show you the complete picture um, of your business. And I, I think that's going to be helpful for the next generation of, of consumer founders is being able to take that holistic view and make decisions because, it, you know, when, during COVID, you wanted to shift all of your spend to e-commerce. Well, now, um, it, you know, especially as Facebook and uh, some of these other acquisition channels have become a lot less capital, a lot less capital efficient, you want to move a lot of your dollars to other retailers or other large marketplaces uh, rather than your own. And, and so you're going to and, and it's going to revert at some point. And so you're just going to need the capabilities of both and figuring out where you're going to get the strongest ROI for that next dollar spent uh, by channel. Uh, and, and, and I think that's something we're really excited about. No, totally, totally. That, um, yeah, innovation, um, like innovation within customer journeys, as you say, and kind of the, the data behind it and whether, um, and because, you know, I mean, it it kind of goes back and and maybe this was you know part of maybe the evolution too of of VMG, but it's it's really hard for CP especially for CPG businesses to actually work online just because you usually make your money in pallets rather than single order right or or in boxes right um, so it's really hard when when you don't when you're not actually selling kind of that volume that you're able to do you know kind of um, in retail. Um, um, online. Uh, so like the economics are just really tough. And so how can you still leverage e-commerce for your business rather than um, leverage e-commerce for your business or even as a marketing channel um, and actually maybe convert customers and source and also see the data uh, between those two? No, I mean, I, I think this industry is being shaken up. I mean, I, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've been with BMG now 11 years and, you know, how much it's changed in those 11 years is crazy. And I, I think is historically, uh, I think you could utilize the same playbooks that, you know, the business, you know, that had come before you utilized, you know, that that's just not the case anymore. And I think that's where we felt building a technology capability in-house was critical because uh, that for us to be the best consumer investors going forward, we would need to identify the best tech stacks for these businesses to utilize uh, to, again, continue to drive efficient growth uh, and profitability. 
and, and again, we feel like we're just now at the beginning of that adoption curve of technology within a number of these consumer verticals. And, you know, we're really excited about the adoption that's yet to come. And can we be some of those early investors that will see that and ride that adoption curve as uh, this industry will just be forced to, 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 to invest more and more into technology. Yeah. And I, I, I do think it's also interesting just as a trend in venture capital where you had, you know, a lot of maybe tech investors pouring money into, you know, digitated brands. Right. And then of course, um, for the most part, you know, um, uh, you know, only kind of few actually performed to like kind of the level of, uh, of expectation. Um, to what, uh, uh, to what they wanted just because, I mean, and, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure we could talk about this at length because of all the differences investing in consumer brands versus technology and maybe D2C brands were, uh, were thought of as technology businesses rather than using technology as a distribution channel. But, um, I, I think it's kind of interesting. There, there seems to be a wave now of consumer investors too, going towards and investing in underlying technology as well. Um, and kind of going the the backwards way per se um, uh, uh, from it. So I do think it's and 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 so it is kind of interesting. I I appreciate how VMG kind of has actually kind of have two different funds and various kind of clear. Even though it's one VMG, it's kind of very clear in terms of um, what the funds do. Because also I feel like there are consumer funds where it kind of is just all pocketed and they all they, they invest in consumer, but they also invest in you know B two B kind of SaaS businesses that where their customers it's consumers. So that's so that's that's pretty cool. I think the underwriting process to what you alluded to earlier is quite different, and that's where we felt you know we had a lot of debate you know, does this fit into one fund or two funds? And I think given the, 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 the just the overall underwriting process and the competition is different uh, and the way at which deals are conducted is different. We just felt that we needed a dedicated fund um, and, you know, we needed investment professionals that, you know, were used to that uh, day in and day out versus going from, you know, investing in a growth stage consumer business that had 20 million of EBITDA to a technology business that, you know, was burning, um, you know, a million dollars a month. Um, yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. How also geographically have, have you, you know, I always, I always think that, you know, consumer businesses can really be built from anywhere. Um, and I'm sure that there's, you know, multiple, um, there are multiple examples of being of consumer, consumer businesses being built in small towns and what have you technology for the most part, prior to COVID it's been mostly, I would say like the main, um, like, like the coasts and, you know, maybe certain pockets, um, uh, between the coasts, but for the majority it's, it's, you know, kind of where the engineers and the talent is, um, with regard to it. How do you think about geographically building? Because you kind of went from on the consumer, like pure kind of consumer CPG where, you know, again, I think, and I love your perspective, you can build like a CPG business from anywhere to a, you know, building technology. Do you think about geography at all when it comes to um, building tech businesses or not so much? um, uh, Maybe there's no difference. No, I mean, I I think you nailed it. It, it, It's just, I think COVID... Uh, changed a lot. 
um, because I think you're also just seeing more remote teams um, now uh, than ever. I think you're seeing engineers not all gravitate towards, you know, the Bay Area or, you know, New York. I think you're seeing strong pockets of engineering talent in a lot of cities. Um, and so, no, I, I, I don't think, you know, we are too geographically specific. Um, you know, we'll look at North America. So we've invested in a couple of businesses in, in Canada or where I think there's actually a lot of strong engineers, um, uh, you know, in both coasts, uh, you know, some in Texas. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're going to see it more geographically dispersed. And, you know, we've done a few investments in Europe uh, where, uh, you know, there's some really strong talent too. Um I mean, primarily focused on North America, and you know, honestly, I think we have an office in San Francisco and New York for a reason because we still feel like a lot of those businesses are being built in those geos. But um, you know, we get on airplanes all the time and find a lot of businesses that that are are not uh, in California or New York. That's that's helpful. What's what's one book that's inspired you personally, and one book that's inspired you professionally? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess I could give you two books, but it's funny. I, I think they both have, you know, similar takeaways that do both work across personally and professionally. It's just maybe because I just like both of them a lot. Uh, Unbroken and Shoe Dog. Um, and I think, you know, resilience and persistence um, is... Uh, is critical to success. Uh, and you know, no journey is easy either, either personally or professionally, and you're going to hit a lot of bumps, but to the fact that you, you know, have the grit to persevere and be resilient, um, you know, you can find great, um, success, uh, or, you know, you, you can continue to survive. And so, you know, how do you stay positive, uh, when you're going through turbulent times. Uh, and I think that positivity will allow you to get through that. But then also, you know, how do you stay focused on your ultimate vision and goal and, and, and making sure that um, you understand it's not going to be an easy path because <laughs> no journey is. Uh, and just get some comfort and positivity in the fact that no, no path is easy. No, I appreciate that, Carl. Um, we'll definitely um, add this to the book list. Uh, Shoe Dog is like the number one most recommended uh, uh, book on this podcast. And uh, yeah, that's um, that's great. That's funny. Um, yeah. Um, and, and now I guess Unbroken, they have a movie. So, you, you know, for those who don't like to read, you can even watch the movie. Totally. Totally. Well, Carl, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, no, thank you, Mike. Great to speak to you. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Carl. Carl, thanks again for coming on the show. If you're loving the show, highly recommend subscribing to the newsletter at theconsumervc.com where you'll get all new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals that are happening. Thanks for listening.